Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to a rather special edition of Strength in the Numbers. Special because it's about one of my favourite ever topics we've covered on the show with guest mentors and that is finance business partnering or some people like to call it strategic business partnering. And it's actually quite a common question I get on the LinkedIn messenger or the email is how do we as accountants and finance professionals become better business partners? And finance business partnering has been around since Stanley Harding first coined the term back in 1963 and it's a bit of a buzzword nowadays. Um, there's very few books on the topic compared to the plethora of accounting and finance books out there. So where can we start? Or what's particularly of most interest to our audience and people on the topic in our profession is how can we become better business partners? And what we've done on this special episode is put the theory to one side, kept it as practical as possible and piece together the advice and insights from four of our previous guest mentors, uh, covering areas like how can we practically become that business partner or financial mentor that our customers, clients, or stakeholders are looking for. Also, we discuss five blockers to business partnering, actually, which is very important. Look at the downside of this, or blockers to this. Also, the two main customers of finance, and the four components that make up a strategic business partner with some survey results around that as well. So look, hope you enjoy the episode. I really enjoyed putting together some really great advice in there. So without further ado, over to our guest mentors and the show. Our first guest mentor on this special about business partnering is Elizabeth Hale. She's founder and CEO of EECPA. And together we discuss how can we practically become that business partner our customers and clients are looking for, the importance of dialing the phone as opposed to just contacting clients via email, plus some great advice for the younger professionals within finance and accounting. And Elizabeth shares a great story about the importance of digging deeper to get at what our clients are really looking for. I think by listening, number one, listening to what they're really saying and what they really want, and, and, and it's a skill to listen um, carefully and to pick up on little innuendos and to read into the email. Um, and I think, you know, I, I work with a lot of millennials and right now text and anything that you have to do to not like personally see someone or talk to someone, it's like preferred. Um, <laughs> But I'm like, so I used to say, well, contact them, call them, and they would email. So now I say, like, dial, like, dial a telephone number. Um, and that means you have to call them because really that verbal contact is absolutely critical. And you need to hear what they're saying to you and ask lots of questions. And then I think that you can help them um, because you can offer solutions or advice that meets what they're actually looking for. Because a lot of people ask you questions and they don't, those aren't even really the questions that they're concerned about. So you have to keep digging deeper. 
Yeah, I, someone said it to me lately. It's like it's very easy for us to make an assumption that people know what they want. Uh-huh. So that digging deeper, like, have you got any sort of maybe examples or, or, or favorite questions or ways that you go and do that you could maybe share with our audience? Well, usually people come in, I would say 90% of my clients come in and they say, oh yeah, I have no receivables problem. Or yesterday I was in a meeting with a client and he was saying, um, yeah, I, I have about 11 employees and they're all paid, you know, the highest person is paid 58,000. So if you, let's say they range in from 40 to 58,000 in the 11 employees. So let's say the high range. So let's say it's about 600 grand he's paying in wages. But you know, you look at his financials and actually he's paying 780,000 in wages. So he really doesn't know um, what he's paying, but you know, you get an idea in your head. And so, you know, someone needs to be there to say, well, maybe the profit isn't as much because if you're operating with the vision that you're only paying 600, but you're actually paying 780, maybe that's why your business isn't netting the 180 difference that it should be because you had this preconceived notion that that's what you're paying. And just bringing people back, like people get ideas in their head and maybe they were even correct, but things have shifted or changed in their business. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, when when they're in there day in, day out, and everything's whirling around them, like their nose is really up against it. They, 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 you know, how are they going to know that they're looking at a masterpiece unless they step back a bit? And I think that's where we can help them, right? As, right. as finance professionals, you know. It's a, I, um, so I really appreciate you sharing that example, Elizabeth. And there was one other thing before we move on I wanted to pick on that. I was really impressed you used use the word solution because I find, I mean, when I was in public accounting, it was very transactional work. You'd go do an audit, do a tax return, end of year return, that was it, right? Then you'd leave. Like, like how do you how do you adopt this solution mindset? Because for me, that just seems much more sustainable. But like, how have you figured that figured it out and got to the solution mindset? You know, I think I just have honestly, I've been asked this before about how why. Um, And I guess because I've always wanted to prove my value in public accounting, it comes from a point of, you know, before when I first started, everything was time and billing, right? So you pay by the hour and if it, you know, if it takes you a hundred hours, then there's a lot of uncomfortable conversations that happen with clients, you know? Um, And so when I started my firm in 2004, I was like, we're going to do this differently. We are going to prove our value to our clients because I have ideas. And I think those ideas, if they pan out, we can show that, hey, quantitatively, yes, maybe you paid us 10,000, but with the ideas that we had, we saved you 20,000. So you like actually doubled your money on our fee. So I've always been interested in business and always grew up in it. And I've loved working with businesses all the time. Since I was very young, um, my dad owned his own business. It was a restaurant, you know, and I love, you know, people and customer service. But I also um, really enjoy finding, you know, troubleshooting or finding solutions to problems. So, like, if someone, almost every client that walks in the door, I do prospect 
they have a reason they're here and it's usually um, because of there's a problem somewhere. So they either feel very uneasy or they've been embezzled from or they owe a lot of taxes or they were blindsided by the fact that their line of credit is maxed out. Um, some problem is initiated. So finding a solution to that problem and then maintaining, you know, uh, or creating a system to solve the problem and then maintaining that system is really how I approach it. So we really don't do a lot of transactional only work. We only work with clients where we actually are having some meaningful solution. Otherwise, it's very boring. <laughs> Going back to your boring comment, it gets very boring to transact all day. <laughs> Our next guest mentor on this special, well, it wouldn't be a business partnering special without him. It's Anders Leo Lindbergh, an active blogger, writer, thought leader, and practitioner of business partnering with over 30,000 LinkedIn followers. Uh, and he's a key influencer in our field, so loads of great insights. And Anders talks with Mitan on this episode about the five blockers to business partnering, also on why we need to find the time to do it in the first place, and in particular, how larger growing organizations should approach business partnering. So, I mean, if, if we look at why business partnering fail on a more, more grand scale, I mean, we in the, in the Business Partner Institute, we've identified sort of five typical roadblocks. Um, so I know I'm saying five and not three, but I hope you can bear with me. So, so the, first, the first one is, is lack of time, right? When we've documented within MERSC, between juniors and seniors, that they spend two thirds of their time on data reports analysis, it's no wonder they don't have time to do business partnering. So we need to find ways to free up time to focus on business partnering. That's one. The second one is that we focus on the cost of finance and not the value of finance. So if we keep focusing on how can we reduce the cost of finance, because you know it's the support function and uh, the business stakeholders, they don't feel it's adding any value, then it's all about reducing cost, take cost out, reduce more and more, and just deliver the absolute minimum. If that's the focus, of course, business partner will not be in focus because that's about the value agenda. So we have to put the value agenda on the map. That's two. Three is what about the people, right? Transformations are all about new systems and processes and organizational structures and so forth. But what about the people that needs development to step into these new roles? And I think you know we spoke probably about this on the on, on the on the, the first podcast to say you cannot just you know take a controller analyst today and give them a new business card and say you are business partner. No, we have to focus on how do we develop them the specific skills that they need to take on this business partner role. I mean, yes, there are superstars that can probably do it intuitively, but the general population absolutely not. So we have to focus on developing the people. That's three. Four is Lack of focus. There's a, uh, a Danish consultant firm that did a survey among senior finance leaders and said, okay, you know, uh, what are your main, uh, main uh, you know, things that you focus on uh, or priorities uh, for, 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 for improving in finance? And 60%, 60% of them said that business pattern was one of them. But when they were then asked to say, what are your top three core focus areas for the coming year? Only 3% of them had business partner up there. So only three 
percent, right? Zero zero three, right? So if if we all say it's important, but we don't want to put it as one of our top priorities, of course we will not get any further on this agenda. So that's that's four. And then five, we fail to make it concrete. We just say, you know, you are a business partner, go out, create the value, you know, you figure it out. If we don't make it concrete, how can people be successful? If I don't make it concrete to the individual, this is what I want you to do different tomorrow. These are the tasks. These are the meetings you need to be in. These are the stakeholders that you have. This is how you need to develop the relationship with them. If I don't make it concrete, of course, people fail. And we don't move people from average to good and good to great, which is our most important responsibility as leaders. So those are the five things for why business partnering fail. And those are the five things that I would urge senior listeners of this podcast to do something about immediately. Excellent um, point, Anders. Yeah. And like many of these things that, you know, are going to be very elementary, very obvious, but we don't think about them in this way. And I think that gives a really good um, starting point. What what I'd say is that they these five points diagnose the issue um, one thing that really sticks out to me is time. So your point about spending two thirds on data analysis, um, reporting, but not enough on the business partnering side. How do we make that time, particularly when, you know, not just for finance professionals, but for all professionals, uh, we spend a lot of time doing that and, and firefighting and, um, you know, not enough on the, on the truly, um, value add side. So how would you, how would you approach that? Well, I think the, the first realization we all have to make is that the work we do as individual is just not that important, right? It might be an important part of the whole, but if, if, uh, if, if, if you left tomorrow, what would happen? In most cases, not much. If you stopped sending the 10 reports that you send on a weekly basis tomorrow, what would happen? Not that much, right? So I think that's the first realization to say, yes, I'm doing a lot of stuff today and I feel that it's important, but on the grand scale of things, it's probably not that important. Because once you have that realization, you can say, okay, what am I doing today versus what should I be doing basis the making it concrete what business partnering is. And then you'll end up a list with the uh, 25 things that you're doing today and 25 things you should be doing tomorrow to be a successful business partner. And then I would say, make the concrete plan to say, how do I stop doing this report? Can I automate it or do my stakeholders even need it? Or you know, is there other ways of doing it? How do I spend more time with my stakeholders? Oh, can I be part of these meetings? Uh, what should I do? So you make concrete, tangible action plans for each thing that you should really stop doing. Then there'll be things you need to continue to do and you can, you can of course optimize those, but those I wouldn't focus on uh, to begin with. And then there's the things that you need to be starting to do. So first, stop things and then start things. If you start things without having to stop things, you'll make things even worse. So stop doing what you shouldn't be doing. Start then doing what you should be doing, right? So this concrete, tangible action plan, I feel many people are missing. And I've been trying to push this also in, uh, in Merck as an example to say, okay, then let's map out your activities as is and let's map out what is actually in your job description you're supposed to do and then let's create this plan. I mean, I uh, I make the analogy of uh, this uh, um, this this story from uh, from Plato, where he's 
uh, I think, uh, writing about you know the blind man in the cave that needs help to really find his way out into the light. And there's all these steps that you need to take to get to the light. So in this case, you know, the light is when we are successful business partners, and the blind is when you're sitting uh, in the cave and sending out reports on email that don't make a difference at all. How do you make that bridge? That is what the leaders need to help the individuals do, but it should be a concrete, tangible action plan. Otherwise, it's just fluffy words on a slide that no one buys into. So with that, Anders, um, how do you apply that in a large organization? Indeed, actually, how have you done it at Maersk yourself? Yeah, so it is true that in any large organization, it probably requires uh, three or five stakeholders to nod when you want to change the, the color of a report. Right, so that definitely adds, uh, adds complexity to it. But at the end of the day, it's all about leadership. Right? So we, from the top, made business partnering a priority. We redesigned roles and responsibilities. We called it Finance Business Partnering 2.0. We created a business partner framework, second to none. We created a training program, and I truly believe that as well, second to none trained almost 500 people. So from a structural point of view, we've done everything we can. But even if we do all that, it still comes down to the individual leader and his or her team around how do they translate all those learnings on the ground into, uh, into reality. Because if they continue to go back after the training and say, okay, I'm going to spend two-thirds of my time doing data reports and analysis, we are not progressing the transformation. If the leader does not go back and say, how do I create the plan to say two-thirds of my time should be spent on sharing insights, making recommendations, and actually creating an impact on the business. If they don't go back and make this plan, it doesn't matter whatever we have done from a structural perspective. So the key point here is for, and that's for all leaders out there is for you to own the transformation. There might be a transformation office, PMO, CFO, whoever, but it's a leader-led transformation. The leaders don't get this, the transformation will not be successful. So if there's one thing that you need to do different tomorrow, and I'm mainly speaking to leaders here, it is to take ownership of the transformation. Don't wait for someone to come and tell you how to do it. If you don't take ownership, someone else will, but this is your foremost role as a leader. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And leadership, I suppose, is the basis of all um, change initiatives or programs. Um, appreciating that, what if you don't have that leadership support? How do those that aren't in an executive or senior position, you know, is it possible for them still to affect change? Yeah, I mean, the change can, of course, come from, from anywhere. It helps that senior management makes a strategy where business partnering is part of the top three priorities, right? So if senior management don't think it's important, it's difficult to make a change at a large scale. If, if, if that is not happening, still as a middle manager, you can say, well, I think it's important that we get closer to our stakeholders and have what we call customer focus to say, how can we help them make better decisions? And, and you can make some, some changes within the team. But even if no one else in the organization but you, the June analyst, think that this is important, you can still make a tangible action plan for yourself to say, okay, 
who are my main stakeholders today? How can I make them into you know, what we say key accounts? How can I become their key account manager so that I understand their needs and can help them progress and make better decisions uh, through improving my relationship with them? So we really see it as a, a mindset of having the customer in focus. Uh, then you need to understand the business, and then you need to create this partnership. Um, so that is to us what business partners are really about. And they can come from every, but it definitely helps that senior management put it as one of the main priorities. Our next guest mentor on business partnering is someone who has not only held finance roles, but general management roles. He's over 35 years of experience in both camps, and his name is Marco Venturelli. And Marco is one of my favorite guests ever. Such a great person, very enthusiastic, and goes through loads of areas on business partnering, particularly the four components that make up the strategic business partner. We go through some various studies and survey results, particularly uh, of the areas he works in, and also a really cool grid, stakeholder analysis grid, that allows us to help find the courage towards becoming more valued business partners. For me, strategic business partner means that the CFO today, together with the CEO, is the only one, I think, in the company that has access to the every area of, of the company and as a, also a understanding of, of the way the company uh, functions. So at this point, if the CFO spend more time, let's say, or um, uh, is more involved in uh, defining the business priorities and uh, contributes to have a clear vision of uh, the, uh, the business future, is really able to move from a more operational CFO to a, a strategic role. Strategic mm -hmm. role means that it should also be able to influence the others, propose uh, simplification projects, because as he has the possibility to look at across the various functions, is in the position to, uh, to do uh, that. And more and more, also, we see CFOs that are driving the uh, executional excellence programs and also the, techno uh, the technology um, evolution. I've seen uh, some... Uh, some ana uh, analysis surveys done by, by McKinsey, for example, that, that says that even though still 41% of the uh, activities of the CFOs today are in uh, the most, uh, let's say, classical financial uh, activity, but there is already a 40% that is in uh, transformation project, M&A uh, activities, and non-recurring um, activities. Uh, if you think, uh, for example, to the companies that are growing uh, through acquisition or uh, merger, etc., they require a CFO that cannot only uh, look at the, the, the quarter. The, the word strategic um, CFO in my opinion, it's and the concept of strategic CFO, it's, it's taking um, a little bit um, a broader um, a broader uh, scope in the organization. And also, um, there was an, another interesting survey I saw done by um, Esther Young, if I, recall, if I recall correctly, that says that it's also the CEO that wants the C CFO to be uh, more uh, more strategic. 
for example we did uh, we did a, an internal survey in in Novarti to um, 200 of our business leaders and we have asked them uh, very simply what you would like a business partner to be and where is finance today no uh, it, it, it's I think this is the base if you wanted to, to build a business partner yeah you know? it's just a basic ask, question uh, isn't ask, it <laughs> it's a basic question exactly what, what sure, you laughing. would like so, no, because no I wanted that uh, uh, you don't get to the impression that I'm purely conceptual I'm also very pragmatic so we exactly so we asked it and we said okay what uh, and how and then we asked the the finance team how you rate uh, yourselves uh, against a certain variables and then we asked the business how you rate your finance partner uh, against uh, the same what has happened is that every uh, business person said uh, you guys are very strong in um, advisory roles you are very competent very strong in your technical area but you are lacking strategic uh, understanding and uh, overall business understanding while the CFOs let's say my CFOs or finance heads in my organization they were saying no we are much better in, in strategic understanding it's, it was a gap it was not gap. that's why we have also because for sure all of us like to say okay I am a strategic partner for sure it's better but it's important it's important that we establish that we do internally surveys that we have because you know if you do a survey like this you show also the courage because you you go yeah. and you really ask to to your partner say okay guys we are our your finance business partner we are we want to be strategic this is what we would like to do and then you build a very practical um, uh, development plan I, 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 I know that you are very much involved in in uh, in driving uh, improving um, the way finance uh, works this program this type of programs are uh, goes exactly yeah. in that in that uh, direction and it's also the base of uh, sometimes uh, you know of the of the six sigma uh, approach oh, what yeah. are our customers uh, our yeah. customers are are, are the, the the business part and also this is my internal customer so uh, first of all i ask the customer if he likes and how he, he rates what i'm doing actually i'm, I'm going to put a plug in now that you mentioned it for lean six sigma i think it's a great uh, toolkit to have if we want to really be serious about putting the customer first and working back from their problem statement and how to solve it. Uh, but but I also want to pick up on some points. You mentioned very practical advice there, Marco. And for me, when you said the courage to do the survey, I think if there's any anywhere, you know, any of our audience this week want to make a real big impact and start building their influence uh, in their careers, it's to simply don't even have to wait for a survey. Go out and ask the people around yes. you what it is that they want from a, a business partner or even start with what do they think they have from a business partner what it is that they want and then as you said it's the gap that we've got to go away to solve that's the yes. problem to solve and we can work away on those because we've listed out in effect qualitatively if you want to call it that what we yes. need to go do and we just go do it solve yes, it yes. give them and, what they and, want and, and then you build influence and then maybe you can think about what it is they need that's yes, a strategic yes. angle and I, I, if I recall correctly, uh, you in your uh, in your book. Now you 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 are the one that uh, published this ambitious uh, CFO. No, no, yes. I, I bought no, I bought that book and also I read it. Okay. Maybe I read it uh, quite. No, I, I read it. Um, let's say quite uh, quickly. But 
I think there is a very, at least there are many very good things, but there is the table of your, um, I think if it's in our book, no? yeah. of your stakeholders, it's, 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 it's a very important and even simple, as you just said, you just say, okay, what are my stakeholders? Are my colleagues in the leadership team? Okay, I sit down with them and I ask them, okay, guy, <laughs> what you want? No, it's, it's basic. Then, I, okay, we did the survey because also we wanted to involve more people and yeah. we want also to sell to sell a little bit of the concept internally we are also a multinational company so that but no, the practical way that, yeah. you, that you because not everybody maybe works in big exactly. organizations the practical is to have the courage there is you put in the agenda of the leadership meeting monthly meeting and so on and you go there and you say okay guys this is what we would like to to do but especially what is important is that now we don't only look at processes but we look also at skill uh, improvement of our people because this is the area uh, where we uh, we needed to uh, eventually to if we wanted to improve we needed to look so it's not only we are running the strategic uh, plan planning process that I think we are good at running the the process if, if it's in in our um, responsibility but it's are we really generating additional content are we really influencing yeah. the, the this is what, what that's why when we were speaking about this environmental social governance aspect my proposal is that finance even though finance is a support function for sure so we have to support the objective of the company but if a CFO is a strategic CFO should also influence the setting of these uh, long-term uh, objectives I, I, I agree we may be we may be a support function but, you know, as Peter Drucker said, the only true profit center is the customer. So whether that's internal or external, we still have a profit-driven mindset. So it makes sense for us to keep doing these things because we're ultimately driving profitability by putting the customer yes. uh, front of mind. Even though we are a support function, it's completely consistent with why we're there in the first place. Yes, exactly. And our final guest mentor who discusses finance business partnering this week is Arno Wackfer. And Arno is a finance professional with immense experience as a CFO, controller, manager, and worked across multiple uh, countries and continents. And Arno shares a story with us on how he stumbled across the usefulness of business partnering uh, via actually engaging with people. Also, the two customers of finance, why reporting also isn't adding value, and why we should be excited about automation, and most importantly, why finance professionals need to be visible, how Arno does this, and what that means to business partnering. Earlier in my career, I was just managing finances from a desk. Um, I, didn't, I didn't interact, I didn't engage. I was just pushing out reports. Um, it was analysis paralysis. I was just looking at detail, detail, <laughs> detail. And you know, eventually, eventually I thought, I thought myself, you know, what's the point of looking detail if I can't share it and I can't get input from people to maybe exactly. I'm missing something, maybe I'm missing trends. Um, you know, you know, I, I don't I don't really understand the business. Um, I don't understand um, how the divisions operate, what their processes are. And I think that was the mindset for me is to engage, um, you know, through business partnering. And you'll be surprised if you just, you know, if you just start talking to people, you understand the business a lot better and you actually understand their pain points. Because finance has got two customers. They've got internal customers and external customers. 
right? Definitely. So the internal customers, all the departments, they need to satisfy their needs. You know, they need to give them reports, actual versus budget. They need to do systems and processes and all those things. And then obviously your external is like if you, you know, your customers, billing statements or things like that. You know, so we've got a, we've got a very, there's a big opportunity in finance to service a large customer base, if I can put it, a stakeholder base. Um, and it all starts with conversation. Um, you know, it's, it's like typically what I tell people on LinkedIn, you know, if someone sends me an invite and you connect and you don't start a conversation, what's the point of connect, connecting in the first place? It's just talk to people, find out what they're doing and how you can help service their business better. And that's what, I mean, we, we at the end of the day, finance serves people, you know, and that's, that's what we are. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I've got great hope for finance into the future because mm. we we know we are all about servicing people yes. so we can have all this technology digital finance agenda and so on and so on but mm. fundamentally business is about people and as long as it's people to service finance will play a role but you know we have to stay relevant you know and you, and you suggested some very good areas there Arno. i suppose in terms of the future of finance then i suppose what's exciting you most about that What's exciting is automation because there's this thing about um, automation is going to take away the jobs of finance and accountants, which it won't. And the reason I say that is because um, what will happen is all the repetitive tasks and re monthly reporting and those things will be automated, right? Which is great. What's going to happen is it's going to free up a lot more time for finance to actually roll up their sleeves and actually start talking to people and engaging and business doing, actually doing proper business partnering and creating value because um if you're just pushing out reporting you're really not adding value because reporting is historical you're just telling Definitely. okay what happened in the past all right so it's it's freeing up the time to work on predictions to work on systemization to work on growth to work on strategy and to what i call to become a co-pilot to driving future business performance because that's what finance is, is we are co-pilot you know we we steer we steer the, the plane in a way, with 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 the execs, uh, with the leadership, and um, you know, we need to make sure that if there's fuel, we need to make sure that you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's one of the fundamentals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it's like it's like it's like taking that fuel, right? Those uh, fuel insights, cash, and so on, and actually doing something with it, right? So influencing and executing, and it's just like um, you can only do that with engaging, right? The business partnering, as you were saying earlier, right, Arno? Yes, hundred percent. You need to engage. I mean, it's uh, and you know, accountants by I don't most accountants don't or mostly I would say that probably most are introverts, but uh, um, you know, I do think in today's uh, today's society um, i think i've seen guys that are more engaging um and it, I've, I've definitely seen a shift but you need to get out of your comfort zone and you know you need to be seen i think you need to be visible i've always i actually wrote a, a linkedin article a while back about visible leadership you need to be visible you need to walk around let people see you introduce yourself um you'll be surprised if you if you put a a, a name to a face you know it changes everything, you know. So, you know, just be seen, be visible. You know. Yeah, and like that's that's an interesting one because, you know, for for a lot of us now in the profession, with digital has allowed us to, you know, perform more global roles. Yes. Um, so, like in an SME, we just get out and you know walk around. It's more easily to be visible. But I suppose in global roles, it could be a bit 
tougher. I mean, I'm just back from a, a few weeks yes, in the US, mm-hmm. you know, walking around and, and being visible. But um, I mean, so maybe what sort of ways do you use to be visible? I don't know, that might be useful for our audience. Visible, um, you know, you can, uh, obviously with technology, you can uh, you can do conference calls, you can use Zoom meetings, um, you can send out weekly reports. So visible, when I say, when I say visible, it can be different forms. Let um, people just yeah. hear from you more often. Not just on a month in when you send a report. Um, so just, I think, communicate more often. Let people just hear and see you. You know, that I think that is, uh, for me, that's key. You know, that they shouldn't just see you once a month. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.